a dot, headshot Kick rocks or bite us, don't like us, then try it Your family get tied up, your wifey, she tied up Cause she fucked up both of us so much for that pride You that gonna you hope to and bang yourself Now you know cancel, you're over Chip off the old block, chip on my shoulders She prayed in my eyes, burden on shoulders Watch God move the sun without burning his shoulders I'm Cobra, venom is Cobra Clutch on my weapon, race from waist to shoulder Level, you looking disheveled I'm on a new level, the devil conducts All his tests in the ghetto, go ahead and contest with the rebel, roll heavy with metal I'm reading your mental cause I have ascended, I'm trying to be better than God What the fuck am I saying? I ain't even enter my grind Taking over the world Won't do it one day at a time Time is an illusion I think that I'm losing my mind You are now listening to FBZ Satellite Radio Broadcasting through all dimensions. Get ready to hear the soothing sounds of bliss. Kick back, light a fat joint, and enjoy the rest of the odyssey. Stay tuned and later we'll be taking some calls. Hit the line, 666-718-3001. Good morning, it's Sunday, January the 13th, 2019. This is show number 81. This is Hackers. I'm a hacker. Aren't we all? Let's go. Welcome back to the show. Welcome back to the podcast. <laughs> I am your host, Gummo. This is the 81st show. 81 hours of straight bullshit. Uh, it's good to be back. It's early in the morning. Uh, what a day yesterday was. Wow. You know, I woke up yesterday morning and I had the idea. I'm like, you know, it, it, we're supposed to have a snowstorm. 
It's supposed to snow here in Chicago. It's supposed to be really nasty and that wet snow that's real heavy. It's just, they call it heart attack snow. And and I'm like, well, what am I going to do? I just don't want to just sit around or I don't want to just do the, you know, the normal thing. You know, I don't want to go, go do something just to stay active or... And I definitely wasn't feeling like uh, any sort of any exercises. So I'm like, well, what's my next best option? I mean, it's snowing real hard. Hmm. Ah, barbecue. <laughs> and that's what I did. I, um, I barbecued food in a snowstorm. I, I felt like uh, there was some sort of justification with that. I, I honestly believe that. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, I was able to get through it. To me, it's like therapy. I don't know. But um, just seeing the smiles that I put on people's faces when they eat my barbecue, that just makes me smile. So that's what I did yesterday. I barbecued <laughs> in a snowstorm. I don't know it, and it just it's fun to me it's fun you know just the whole especially when there's a challenge like wind or snow <laughs> and cold weather and ice and so I enjoy those challenges and that's so that's what I did it turned out well I tasted a little bit of it been watching what I have been eating lately I ate too many chocolate chip cookies throughout the holidays <laughs> way too many chocolate chip cookies <laughs> and so i'm trying to uh yeah detoxify from all of the uh cookie dough how about you how was your week did you have a good week didn't expect us back here so soon did you didn't didn't know the notification thing would uh ding so soon for the hackers podcast huh well it did and here i am <laughs> 3 a.m. in the morning. Thanks to Radio 24 and thanks to Jones Lang LaSalle. Really, seriously, thanks. And thanks for the Starbucks uh, peppermint hot chocolate. Really appreciate that. 3 in the morning, 6 in the morning, 9 in the morning, noon, whenever. Whenever it's snowy and cold. Anyhow, took a gypsy cab over here, uh, and here I am uh, bringing the podcast to you, along with we're live somewhere. Uh, you know, and speaking of that, I was trying to log into the live stream server, but I had no luck, so I asked uh, Crash to look into it, and uh, he had no luck, so now we're out of luck. <laughs> I don't know what it's doing, but it's it's doing something, and so we you know we have to rush here. To make sure that uh, you know when the green light goes uh, turns green <laughs> we're here i don't know what will happen if it you know if we were unable to make it i guess i don't know uh back in the aeon building love it here it's my little uh, abode here in this uh lovely city and you oh my goodness you should see the city lights in the middle of the night after a snow Oh my goodness. Um, but uh, 
Yeah, and uh, you know, last week, uh, you know, is it, it was cold here in the city, but uh, it was it was actually f- very cold a couple days. Uh, but I, I find sol- solace in that and walking through it, exercising through it. I really enjoy that, and uh, staying active uh, keeps your um, you know, it just makes things better, right? Uh, last, you know, speaking of, and speaking of last week, you know, I had, um, it was, it was kind of cool. I, you know, and what I do, uh, from a day to day standpoint, uh, last week it was kind of, uh, you know, I found, uh, five security vulnerabilities documented how to fix them and reported them and uh you know seriously felt pretty uh accomplished from that yeah and i'm sure i'll find some more this week coming up uh and um it's been interesting i i've i've backed off of uh all of the social media things the only thing that i'm still uh curious about is this linkedin thing uh and so i'm that's about the only social media thing that I've been, uh, or looking at, or and or engaging with, or even actually uh, having the time to engage with, and find it interesting um, when I send uh, connection requests uh, to people who I find uh, interesting. And so I'm still trying to find out how all of that works, but uh, it's it, it's interesting. And I know a lot of people say you shouldn't have a, this, that, or the other, but uh, you know, well, it's it's whatever. I find it interesting, and uh, I've met some uh, uh, very interesting people, for that matter, uh, from LinkedIn. Uh, and so you know, it is what it is, I suppose. But uh, been checking that out, and if uh, you are on there, I'm sure you can find me. I don't know. It's kind of cool, though. But uh, everything else, no. Uh, it's just not my thing anymore. It just takes too much time to engage and to, um, you know, read all of the things. It's just too much information. I, and I think I spoke about that on previous uh, podcasts, where the information just is just too much for me. And make sure that it's not too much for you. You know, are you, you if you remember my earlier uh, podcasts, you'll remember me saying, hey, get outside, breathe the fresh air. Uh, and that's still, that's still a thing, right? You know, um, nature is always waiting for you. And um, you can discover some interesting things just um, taking a, a simple walk. And when is the last time that you did? You know, you just took a walk. I do that as much as I can throughout my uh, days. Um, I, I try to get up and walk at least once an hour. I think it, it it's good for you. Um, you, you know, sitting is not uh, a, a well thing for you. And um, walking and staying active um, certainly helps. And so remember that and watch what you eat. I'm not going to mention any names. Well, at least, you know, I don't know. Eat what the hell you want. 
I uh, got a little bit of feedback last week. As I said, I was really busy, but uh, I, I was able to check the inbox uh, on the way over this morning. Uh, and I got some really good feedback. And so I uh, collabed with uh, the Crash Man. And um, so what uh, we decided to do was roll another uh, round of talks from the uh, Chaos Congress recently, uh, from December 27th through the 1st or the 30th. Uh, and it's uh, if you're not familiar with the Chaos Congress, it happens each year in Germany, somewhere in Germany, Berlin, Leipzig. This year it was in Leipzig. Sometimes it's been in, ha I think it was in Hamburg a few times. I don't know. Uh, and it's uh, put on by the Chaos Communications uh, or the Chaos Computer Club, rather. Uh, and you can check their website out at uh, ccc.de. Uh, and uh, you can... Um, discover a a whole new level of intelligence and meet the most wonderful people that you will ever meet uh and you and um you can join you can join the chaos club uh and there's all kinds of things that uh, you can get involved in, in uh in a good uh way uh, using your skills in a, in a good fashion so uh with no with no further ado uh, I want to go ahead and uh, play uh, the lightning round talks from the recent Chaos Congress. Uh, and I think that you'll find, uh, like me, uh, you, I think you'll find them quite interesting and um, informative. And there's a lot of ideas that come from the lightning round talks uh, in, in most of these uh, hacker conferences. But to me, uh, this is where it all began at the Chaos Congress, uh, you know, like years ago. And so uh, with no further ado, here's the uh, lightning round talks from the recent Chaos Congress uh, in Germany. So first up is Mailman. Let me just start it. Ah, there, it is. Oh, there you go. So uh, welcome to the first surveillance. Um, this talk will be about the door opening system. So at my apartment I have one of those systems where I can see someone who rings the doorbell uh, in a video camera system. Um, and I wanted to grab that video because, well, you never know, maybe the mailman rings. Of course, well, this never happens. Um, maybe burglars ring the doorbell while, while I'm not at home. Um, or unicorns, that's probably the most likely event. Um, and yeah, so I tried this at home. What I have at home is an Elcom system. They are very popular um, and they are advertised to be very secure and safe. My solution was um, just buying another adapter from, from Elcom and then another USB uh, video adapter and then I can run this on Linux and grab the video. Pretty easy, pretty cheap. Um, and then I have some solution with FFM uh, FFmpeg mencoder just to check if the video is there or if it's just a gray image. Um, and some more magic going on to send a notification to my smartphone um, and also to get the last image so that I see who was ringing the, door the doorbell. Um, that worked well. And five minutes after installing, I get the first notification saying, Someone rang your doorbell. I was like, ooh, did I, did I script something wrong? Checked all the scripts? No. Checked the last image. There is an image. It's a person I don't know. What is going on? Well, what is going on? I see my videos, but I also see the videos of all neighbors, and we are 19 parties living there. 
So it works well, but not as I wanted to use it. Mm. And then I asked the support, of course, like, did I do something wrong? Is this how it should be? Do I need to couple it to my doorbell signal to just grab my video, or how does it work? And I said, yeah, that's, that's how it works. It's a feature. Um, so the legal implications are a bit uh, funny, so to say, because um, so I, I just saw that the videos, they always last three and a half minutes. So even if I hang up the doorbell, um, then I will always still get a long video. So even if you don't see the video, it's still recorded uh, or at least streamed and can be recorded. What I didn't try so far is faking a signal of uh, ringing a doorbell. So if I would uh, ring a door that doesn't exist, for example, I might be able to, to just ring without really ringing somewhere and then recording forever, and then it would really be a surveillance camera. And in German law, it's a bit different. So it, the, the, the current legal implication would be it should just be one minute and so on, and pe people should be aware if they are recorded. Um, so it's really strange. Uh, this, this should not be happening, and you should really consider that these cameras are surveillance cameras, even if they are not supposed to be. Um, if you like this talk and want to see more about security, I also have a talk on day four uh, about Bluetooth firmware security. Um, and do you have any questions about this talk here? Okay, then one brief question to you. Who of you has a door opening system with a camera at home? Yes, yes, yes. Oh, yeah, that's really a few. That's, that's great. Yeah. Then, who is the next speaker? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> next up is Kidspace. Press F. Can you press F? Uh, yeah, there you go. So my name is Casper, and I'm presenting uh, Kidspace.org. It's a website to share electronics projects. Um, so the way electronics are assembled, um, the way electronics are put together is you have a printed circuit board, and you have components that you solder onto the printed circuit board. Um, you have uh, through-hole components where the legs of the components go through the printed circuit board and you solder one side of them. You have surface mount components where they sit on top of the printed circuit board and you uh, solder them onto the board with uh, careful application of heat. Uh, you can do this by hand, like in this uh, little video, or you can uh, if you have a lot of components and tiny pitch components, you probably want to have some sort of reflow process and use a solder paste. Uh, you can do this with a hacked toaster oven, uh, uh, and it really saves a lot of time and effort to do it that way. Um, if you want to know more about how to do that, uh, just check out your local hacker space. Check out, obviously, loads of workshops here at, at uh, 35C3. Um, yeah, if that interests you, you should do that. Um, the way printed circuit boards are designed is you normally have a schematic layout tool and a, uh, and a, a, a schematic entry tool and a PCB layout tool. So you enter the, uh, you kind of define all the connections that you want to make on one side, and then you go into your layout tool and then kind of connect them up on a physical model of your board. 
So people do this, and they share them online freely. So uh, there's more and more electronics projects that you can make use of uh, that people are putting up. I, I kind of do this informal survey uh, normally every year when I give, a, give some talks at FOSDEM or at other conferences. I don't know what happened to the GitHub numbers there. They seem to go down. I don't know if that has anything to do with the Microsoft acquisition, but I think it's more likely that they changed the way they index their uh, boards. But on the whole, obviously, it's cumulative. There's more and more electronics projects up online that you can make use of, and there's obviously uh, loads of different ways that people share these projects. Uh, the problem with it is that everyone has their kind of own way of designing things, putting things together, putting it up on their blog, putting it on GitHub all these different ways of doing things and it's often kind of hard to see what, to, to get to the point where the designer was and w replicate the project that they created and the, the kind of the solution that I'm, that I'm it's largely me, me, it's an open source project but it's largely me and the idea is to take all these different ways of doing things and sort of introduce a minimal standard so that we can get what we want which is obviously the printed circuit board and the parts so that we can also replicate this project. Uh, so the way uh, I'm going about this is kind of in two parts. There's the one-click bill of materials browser extension and the kidspace.org project sharing website. Uh, so the browser extension, it uh, automates purchasing by replicating the web requests that are sent when you, you use retailer sites. Um, there's a little video of it here. Maybe, uh, I don't know, I seem to be running out of time. But it adds things to uh, retailer shopping carts by replicating these requests. Uh, you can just, you have different ways of adding uh, your bill of materials to it. Um, so the other part of it is kidspace.org, which is a project sharing website where we can combine the printed circuit board with the bill of materials together with some information and a readme and an easy way to buy the printed circuit board and an easy way to buy the parts that you need to do it. So the idea of it really is um, this virtual kit that um, the, the designer doesn't have to bag components and put everything together and send it to you, but you can yourself have the agency to buy everything you need to replicate a project. Uh, I'm working on tools to make it easier to document projects and put the bills and materials together because that's really a challenge to get designers to do, put that effort in to make it uh, documented in a way that's replicatable. So the, I have a bill of materials tool that I'm working on. It's kind of still in development, but it's use, usable has some edge cases. There's a lot of libraries that go into making this a nice user experience for Five, people. Four, three, two, uh, any one, questions? Uh, Find me at Open Science Hardware Assembly. Thank you. All right, then next up is hacking climate change. Uh, don't, don't hurry, I still have to uh, uh, work out this uh, complicated slide change. Oh, Jesus. Okay, there you go. Uh, one, two, three, one, two, three. Hi. Uh, very recently, 
I've been part of the hackathon called Hack for Climate. Last year we were in Bonn at the United Nations Climate Change Conference and we were running a hackathon on a boat. This is our boat, 100 people, people from all over the planet and it was a very empowering experience because I could understand how this politics works. Like we are hackers, makers, duocracy, we are using our tools and these guys, they are mostly talking. And that was, I just realized, ooh la la, there is zero, there is absolutely zero chance for these guys to reach an agreement across 190, 200 countries, different political fractions. It is just not going to happen. Uh, this is me at this large, uh, large room. This is a young girl from Sweden who organized the, the protest. Her speech is very emotional. It has only three minutes long. I encourage you to, to watch this girl speak because she is really, really special. Uh, these are just uh, some few pointers for you that ExxonMobil was founding climate change studies, uh, but they were denying it. This is some article from more than 100 years ago that scientists were aware of uh, climate change. Uh, this is the Lake Chad in Africa that is drastically reducing the uh, surface area. This is the Aral Sea and one of these islands this was the biological weapons, you know, playground. And now you can just go there by land. And if you happen to be in Kazakhstan, this is the only nuclear weapons testing site. So just a little tangent. Anyway, uh, I just want to tell you that the climate change is for real. There are multiple feedback loops and tipping points that this is a very stay unstable and fragile organism. And uh, there are different, uh, I would say, civil disobedience, non-violent direct action, Extinction Rebellion, which uh, originated in the UK and it's now international movement. And also in, in France we have the Yellow Vest movement, who are a little bit more, a little bit more violent. So I was just thinking, rather than trying to influence the government, rather than telling the government, hey, can you please do this, can you please do that? I was thinking about us becoming the government, because that at Congress we are able to organize 10, 12, 15,000 people. This building has a capacity to sustain a civilization. I can imagine the hydroponic vertical gardens in this glass building in the middle. We can have a one hall dedicated for I don't know, sleep, rest, recovery. And uh, I think that we should think about tools, how we can organize ourselves uh, to, uh, yeah, be more active on the political scene. Uh, this is the session that I'm organizing in about one hour. Uh, it is uh, not shutting down the internet, because shutting down the internet would be a very dangerous thing. But we are thinking how to make this protest in the online space. How can we send the message to the government uh, to actually say, hey guys, uh, you need to get your act together, otherwise it will be us 
uh, who will be in parliament. It will be us who will vote for our own president. Uh, so this is, uh, you know, you can take a QR code. This is, um, this room is far away, but if you want to contribute, you will always find uh, the way. And uh, who? This is the timer, okay. <laughs> I've run very quickly through the slides, uh, but basically what I want to say that these politicians, this United Nations, it's very difficult to reach a consensus because it is a consensus thing and it is enough for one country to block any, any proposal and then Ooh, there is no consensus. So when you have 200 countries with so many different political implications and so many different things, it is unlikely to happen. And yeah, I'm inviting you to join this session, planning how we can protest, how we can organize, what can we do to act together. Five, four, three, two, one. Uh. Thank you. Thank you. Next up is body-mind operating systems. Hello, everyone. My name is Dimitri from Nodus Labs, and uh, I want to talk about body-mind operating systems. Uh, we all know what operating systems are. We use them on a daily basis. However, what I want to propose today is to think of an operating system as a metaphor. So what kind of software, what kind of operating system we run as human beings. We have a lot of inspiration to choose from, starting from religions to different spiritual practices, ideologies. Uh, divinational systems, uh, implicit value systems, um, organizational operating systems such as holacracy, political ones. Hip-hop can also be seen as an operating system in terms of an attitude that it proposes, scientific operating system. So we have a lot and what I want to put out there is that uh, I think just like it's important to look into the code of the software and hardware that we use, it's also important to look at the behavior of patterns that we have, at our habits, at what we learn through our culture, through education, and to question it, to find the code, to reverse engineer it, and uh, to change it uh, to keep the stuff that we like, and uh, to get rid of the stuff that we don't like. This is the first thing I want to put out there, to think of the software that we run as human beings. Uh, the second thing is a, a kind of use case, the, an operating system that we developed that's called uh, A2S that uh, I also propose you to try in the context of this Congress. It's happening today at 5 and tomorrow at 2. It's like a physical practice workshop actually. One of the features uh, that is very important about this operating system A2S is that it's based on learning through the body, not only the mind. Because a lot of times we learn about very abstract concepts through our mind, but as soon as we get them through our body, we get a really uh, direct understanding of the patterns that we're working with, uh, so that they get ingrained into us on the level of reflexes and it becomes a much more efficient way of learning. Um, it's also inspired by complex system science and also different body practices, so it has this theoretical aspect as well as the 
pragmatic and practical one. And uh, another important feature is that it looks for universal applications in other contexts. So we practice through the body, but that is only to learn how we can apply the principles that we learn uh, somewhere else, outside, maybe in work, in life, uh, when we work on systems and so on. So, for example, one of the things uh, we work on here are some images from the practice sessions that we have. Um, people apply A2S in different contexts, starting from art to music to science to work and so on. Um, I'm just going to explain uh, some of the principles, maybe only one, because there's not enough time to do all of them. Uh, one of the principles we work with is that of assimilative adaptivity. So normally when something happens in life, like a tension or some problem or conflict, we tend to respond to it with uh, tension, and that leads to escalation. So the more tension we experience, the more tension we give back. And uh, this leads to a very inefficient waste of energy. So what we propose is to think of it uh, as something that, that you can assimilate and embrace into your system to understand it better through your body, and to then uh, find a way to respond to it in a more interesting and a more efficient way. Uh, working with the idea of confluence, flow, wave dynamics, and so on. Um, I will just fast forward to the slide uh, that has information about the sessions that are going to happen today at M3 at 5 o'clock and at 2. It's just over there on the left. I invite you to come and to try it out. Um, we will work a lot with the concepts that are also used in hacking, such as resilience, adaptation, uh, infiltration, but when we use them as words, uh, they are very abstract. As soon as we try them out through the body, they become very concrete. So this is an interesting way to also break your day that you have here, where you work with your minds and to get into your body and to try things out to see how it works. And just like with any software, you, you can install it in your system, try it out. If you like it, then you keep it. If you don't, then you don't. Uh, it's open source, so that means you can go back and reverse engineer it. So thank you very much. Come and join. You're, you will be very welcome and you will enjoy it. Thanks. Thank you. Okay, GPS power side channels is up next. The GPS power side channels, and this is some work uh, we've been organizing with uh, Alyssa Milburn. So what are these side channels? Well, if you have uh, a, a microprocessor, maybe it has uh, a secret key inside, and you want the secret key. So you can send it some inputs, maybe you can see some outputs, um, but you can certainly monitor the power usage. And if you can do this, hopefully you can recover the key. So these side channels are great. You measure the power and you get cryptographic keys. But we are cheap and lazy. We don't want to buy an oscilloscope. And all this analog stuff is complicated. And it's a lot of maths. We just want the keys. So these oscilloscopes are expensive, and people have tried to make them cheaper. But at the end of the day, this is still a lot of beer. Therefore, we've built the horoscope. It's approximately five euros. It's basically an Xmega 32 breakout board, and uh, this Xmega has a 12-bit ADC, which works at two mega samples per second. Also, it does glitching. So we have an oscilloscope, uh, but now we need a target. 
So we've decided to use the Arduino Nano. It's cheap and familiar. Everyone knows it. And it's totally not secure. Uh, and we've also downloaded some AESs from the internet to use as targets. OK, so what do we have? We have our target. We have an oscilloscope. What's left? Some challenges. So it turns out we're actually sampling well below um, the Nyquist frequency. The Arduino runs 16 megahertz. We're sampling at 2. And people have told us this doesn't work. Also, we don't have an analog front end. We don't have an amplifier. And we're not going to bother. Also, you know, we have these other sources of noise and problems. So, you know, noise. So even if we have all this noise, and I had all this noise because I didn't configure the ADC properly, um, you know, that's not, too, that's not too much of a problem. You just take 100 of these measurements, you average them, and you get, you know, and suddenly an AES appears. What will be even better is if you don't misconfigure the ADC, like we did here. Um, and as you can see, we can actually have a very nice power trace. And we can actually also, uh, we also have some, uh, we also have a nice GUI so we can pretend we have a real oscilloscope. And then the next step will be actually recovering the key. Uh, and this would be a call to uh, join us for the workshop, but sadly, um, they're all full. So please talk to us maybe in the break, maybe afterwards, maybe talk to Alyssa on Twitter. Um, and that's it. All right, thank you. Well, so uh, next up is we need to do better than cyberpunk, I think, because I just closed my window where I have all the slides. I'm opening it right now. Um, and here we go. So hello, my, na my name is uh, ALXD, and I wanted to, tell, uh, to talk about stories. Uh, uh, and especially about uh, hacker stories, because for the last two years I've been researching uh, hacker values in popular culture and uh, the types of stories we, uh, we tell. Because as hackers we have a lot to say, uh, we have a lot of proposals on how technology should work in the society, uh, how we want to avoid all the dangers we can see that others cannot see, but we do a very, very bad job at communicating it. Uh, whenever we try to talk about net neutrality, about free software, people see us like black hats, uh, like conflict mongers that are there uh, to only smash the system, to destroy their bank accounts, and uh, to basically bring trouble. And the problem is that we need to tell stories, not only produce white papers, because most of people will not, uh, most of the people, most of the general public will not read the white papers. They want to hear stories and they need to have in mind that there may be problems if somebody uses only closed uh, uh, solutions. There may be problems if somebody basically buys only uh, closed corporate stocks and, may, and is totally dependent on closed social media. Uh, the cyberpunk uh, genre started as a warning, but sadly uh, it became our default future. And if you talk to a lot of non-technical people, you can see that they see cyberpunk as uh, basically the future. If they see some new piece of technology, 
uh, they don't say, oh, it's so futuristic. They say, oh, it's so cyberpunk. And especially outside of Europe, outside of uh, the US, you can see a lot of makers, a lot of people that are actually wishing for a cyberpunk future because they wish for better technology, for better integration of technology with our bodies, uh, completely ignoring the fact that cyberpunk actually uh, proposes a lot more, that cyberpunk introduces the constant surveillance, the mega corporations, uh, and uh, total lack of uh, uh, power to among the regular people uh, and this all comes in a bundle so whatever people dream of cyberpunk future uh, we actually normalize those things and it's much easier to accept surveillance it's, it's much easier not to rebel against uh, corporations against uh, a lot of solutions that are bad for society if we see it constantly uh, the stories that we tell as hackers are usually stories of rebellion against that. And uh, hackers are, again, seen as some exceptional individuals that are fighting the system and is always fighting the system. There are very, very, very few works that actually uh, tell about our values, about free software, about technological neutrality that are accessible to regular people that uh, can talk about the whole society. And sadly, with those, uh, we only strengthen dystopias because we agree to actually uh, be written in the cyberpunk narrative as those fighters that uh, are the element of the cyberpunk and also we alienate ourselves farther from the society and people in governments, people uh, in different councils are much less likely uh, to talk to us uh, when it comes to, to giving any advice because we are the conflict mongers. Uh, there is an alternative, that's uh, a chance that uh, we can take. There is a new genre which is uh, being, uh, being created right now. The name is Solarpunk, and it's uh, supposed to be an alternative to the uh, cyberpunk uh, future. Solarpunk is a, a utopia, or at least a hopeful future. It's a future that is available for everybody, not for only exceptional individuals, which is very green and eco-friendly, where everything is uh, designed to be as green as uh, possible, where there are horizontal power structures. So the things that we know from our hacker spaces, the things that we know from the anarchism that is all around us at CCC, uh, they propose it for the whole society, so that every school teacher, every baker, every average regular person is able to take part in that and this is a great platform for us to tell the actual hacker stories to tell about our adventures our problems that we have as society within our uh, our groups and platform to tell the, about distributed technology and uh, open source and free software uh, so I want to tell about uh, hacker spaces in this way. This is uh, an art that uh, was created by Mike Luzzi. Uh, and please contact me on my email or Mastodon if you would like to uh, discuss this topic. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. The next talk uh, you're going to listen is Event Fahrplan by TBSR PRS. Here he comes, and here are the slides.
Hello, everyone. Nice to see you. Thank you for coming. Um, quick show of hands. Who does not use a smartphone? Uh, what I really want to ask is, like, who knows somebody who doesn't use a smartphone? Yeah, okay. That's a lot. Uh, sorry for, the, for you. This is about uh, smartphones. And actually, it's about Android smartphones. I hope uh, those iPhone users still uh, stay around. Most of the talk uh, also applies for iPhones, although this is about the event schedule. So my name is uh, Tobias, and I'm uh, maintaining this app for a while. And I want to, to tell you about it. I hope it's not too boring, um, because um, most of you maybe know the app, but I start with the basics, because there are newcomers here. So. Um, it looks like this. Uh, what actually brought me to this app is actually this grid view where you can compare things on the same level. You see what happens at the same time. Um, I hope you also rotate your phone because the same is possible on the phone if you don't use a tablet. And uh, that's like the selling feature for me, but there's, there's of course more. Uh, the basic stuff is you can select your favorites, watch them, uh, delete them. Uh, you can export them. Uh, I don't know if many people found that because the app does not use any tracking, so I'm totally blind of what you do or what you don't. Um, there's this share button to export favorites, and um, you can uh, kind of change the style how the favorites are visualized in the, in the grid view. Uh, alarms. You can set up alarms for talks, so you're reminded uh, up front. So you can go to a talk that is like far away on the other side of the Congress building, and um, uh, inspect the list of alarms, and also uh, customize things about the alarms, so the the default timing and uh, like the tone. Um, there's uh, schedule updates, uh, which are pretty recent here on Congress because there are so many stages and everyone changes uh, things now and then, and so you get a lot of notifications that you can mute uh, if you want. So you can uh, disable uh, the updates in total and just press the refresh button, or you can go into the Android settings and uh, mute the channel uh, for, the, for those updates. Mm, that's something you can do. Um, there's more things. So you can uh, put the events into your personal calendar on the phone, share them on Twitter or whatever. Uh, you can vote, and I uh, encourage to do that. Like all the talks have a voting backend, which I redirect to, and then you can give feedback to the speakers. Uh, there's like stars, but you can also write a text. And that's very valuable so people know uh, how they performed. Uh, last but not least, there's an integration with the navigation app, the C3 NAV uh, project. Uh, very uh, good project to get you around the building. Uh, uh, there's an extra app you have to install, otherwise it redirects you to the website. Um, short uh, introduction to the backend. Um, what basically happens in the background is that there's a lot of uh, stages like this. And they all have their own uh, system to organize talks. Uh, they're running pre-talks. And there's this uh, big uh, system um, which has been used for years uh, called FRAP. And that's for the main five stages. And um, the VOC team uh, collects all the 
the data and aggregates it into one file. And what the schedule app basically does is just fetching an XML file. And that comes with um, advantages and disadvantages because there's different systems and different formats, timestamps, time zones. Things can happen, things can go wrong, but um, by now it looks quite stable. Um, this talk is titled One App to Serve You All. And what happens here is Congress uh, gives you uh, this app, and but there's more. During the year, uh, I deploy this app for other conferences, CCC conferences, and uh, even more. And so the last year was a lot of work. There were a couple of conferences where this app came into uh, play and, and were used, was used by several users. And as you can see, there's a lot. Actually, it was 14 apps, and I had uh, 56 releases over the time. And then back in 2017, as the same thing happened. And um, it all started with Tux Mobile, who actually created this project. I joined the project like five years ago. And um, it's open source. And um, the problem is there's many people using, but there's just one developer. And I'm very kind, uh, thankful for all the feedback and for the bugs, but this is a call for participation. And there's many things you can do. And there's uh, a lot of things, even if you're not programming, that you can help with. And I encourage you to uh, reach out and help with the project, because this is totally wrong at the moment. One developer won't survive. All right, thank you. Now, next up, uh, Alex, do we know what's up next? I think it's... Uh, yeah, the next. Oh, the yeah, next how to code with dip switches by Swally. Yeah, so this one is in the browser as well. F. There you go. Hi, I'm Swally, and I code demos. Um, it's, uh, my, my project started with a question, what's the minimum uh, size of a demo you can do on Atari 2600? I came up to the conclusion that it was something like 32 bytes, because I needed some routines, um, some basic routines uh, to get things done. But to me there was something missing to show how minimal and hardcore this is. Something that shows a real programmer, as defined by XKCD. The discussion about this is, what is the real hardcore user interface you use, can use to code? Well, I don't even need that needle. I just use dip switches to come up with something that looks like this. So what I've got there is a, a board that kind of has a 5-bit address decoder that selects one out of these 32 dip switches, 8-bit. Um, these 8-bit data are written on the data bus if the ship select signal has been enabled. Diodes make sure that there's no short circuit. This also means that uh, no cheating is possible because uh, there are no programmer uh, components used. 
It also means um, that uh, I've been using much less space than the address space is. The 32 bytes I'm going to use are mirrored 128 times, and this will become very handy later on. The demo I coded is used for NTSC because in this context it's much easier for me to code 262 video lines of NTSC than 312 for PAL. This is what the opcodes uh, that, uh, that the CPU knows. And these are the only ones that are really useful in a 32-byte demo. So I need to give a bit of a background. When the CPU starts, there are, four, uh, there are two special memory addresses that are used. There are two others that are used as an interrupt vector. So, um, and on, when the system is initialized, uh, I have to do it myself. So I need to write something like the four, first uh, 43 bytes of data, um, zero them out myself. Now let's take a look on how that can be achieved. This is a very minimum reset routine. I'm using an undocumented opcode to set two registers at once. Then I'm going to write in a loop um, the zero that I've got there uh, 256 times because it doesn't matter if I write more than the 43 bytes. But this can be optimized. I can go more minimum. So the trick there is that um, I'm not caring what inside my accumulator is. I'm just shifting it out and writing it backwards by, using, by pushing it on the stack. The stack is um, also mirrored by hardware at the same address than the um, I.O. and RAM area. And I'm just checking there um, if the stack has been, if I have uh, cleared out all the stack in this loop. This also comes in very handy because um, this code can be entered at all the first three opcodes. Uh, it doesn't matter which one I use. So now, remember the mirroring. Remember that the routine can be entered in different points. Um, now I'm going to want to use the interrupt vectors and the reset vector for using with code. Since the ROM is mapped in as F000 to FFFF, the high byte should be an FX. And um, now I'm going to show you what I did. This is what the code looks like. Um, and I'm now searching for an F something in there. I found one there. And I tried to use this one as my, uh, as my reset vector. So I'm going to move it around the code at this address. Now the red line is used as the, not only as data for the reset vector, but also as the code that you see in there. And um, this reset vector now points to the green line. So this is where the, where the reset starts. And as I told, the reset uh, routine can be entered at any of these three addresses. So this reset routine will still clear out and do what I intended it to do. And the code on the bottom wraps around to the next uh, mirror window that I've got in there. So everything is working just fine by rotating the code. This is what this demo looks like when it's running. And this is what uh, it looks like when I change just one bit of code. So, and if you want to know about more of this in detail, you can meet me at the retro area in Hall 2. There also is, um, uh, you can see it online uh, at the website implemented. And since I've got uh, a short time, I won with this one a first prize at the demo competition. And the most response I've got in there is, um, this is great, but you're nuts. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I want to close all my tabs. All right, the next up is uh, make, automa make Automotive Grade again.
All right. So, ah, it works. Hello, can you hear me? No, you have to stay closer to the mic. More close? Hello? Ah. You can also adjust it if you... If, if you take your hands from the lecture thingy, uh, the microphone stops to work. Okay. Let's try this. So, hello. Um, I'm talking about automotive-grade software. Um, who here in this hall is using a car or interacting with cars in any way? Ah, so, some people are still awake. So I've got bad news for you, unfortunately. Um, so the bad news is there's lots of computers in cars nowadays. So probably you know this already. Um, I've put some asterisks in there uh, where computers are stored uh, normally. Most of these computers actually are of no big concern. So they are small computers. They uh, basically um, help you with driving. Um, they are safety related, so they can kill you, probably, but they are done by cool people that know what they are doing, and they are really small, and so the complexity is manageable, yeah? so you really know how these interact. Um, and then there's one other big computer, that's the infotainment system, and nobody cares about the infotainment system because that's just some kind of mobile phone that you use for showing navigation, and you can firewall it off. Yeah, and uh, the problem now is um, that in the automotive industry there's hypes and the current type is autonomous driving. And um, if we draw network pictures for all these computers and cars, we see that somehow blue boxes pop up nowadays. And if we show, look at them more closely, these blue boxes are some kind of central computing clusters that are connected to everything inside the car. Because what they need to do is they need to get data from every sensor in that car. They need to do some kind of sensor fusion and they need to do driving decisions. So they need to steer the brakes. And it's not only from inside the car, it's also from the outside. So you can see that there's a connection from that cloud giving data to that central computing cluster that then uses this data to steer your braking in the car. And this is fine. So what we did was we now connected all these nice little stars in my mini to the Internet of Hate. And um, this is a bit complicated because that's something new for the automotive industry. So we now have highly complex systems, high performance processes that need safety and security. We don't know what security is. We don't know how safety works in these kinds of systems. What we do know is we need to go there fast because Tesla and Google and Uber already do something like this, so every car maker wants to have their own solution for that. And what do you do as a company if you don't know how to go there? So basically what you do is you ask around and then you buy knowledge. Yeah? So every major car maker nowadays bought a hypervisor startup, a cloud startup, a blockchain startup, a machine learning startup, and two or three cyber startups, because you can't have enough cyber in your systems. And, and the problem now is they, they still don't understand. Yeah? And there are big corporations that did things for 
decades. And they, they really need to understand security, that's obvious. I don't, won't talk about security much longer. Uh, they also need to understand open source because that industry is an industry fueled by NDAs, fueled by not invented here. So they are really trying to keep things secret. And we need to make them aware that on some parts of the systems, especially when it comes to safety and security, it might be a good idea to actually collaborate and do things in the open. And how do you do that in a big organization? So consulting doesn't work. What I really want to, to achieve is that the cars stay as nice as my Mini, so we won't have any Skynet and we won't have any um, big hacking going on in the cars. And my proposal is to change the automotive industry from the inside. So what I actually want is I want you to join the automotive industry and to try to, to teach them how to build secure systems. And they're actually looking for you and they know that they need that knowledge and that they need to build up that knowledge. But it's really tricky getting there because they are discouraging. Yeah? They are big corporations and they are slow and they don't know how software works. So really, we need to, to break that loop, get in there, change them. That's it. Right. Thank you. Next up is uh, Strokes, helping you learn Chinese characters. Just a moment, please. There you go. Hello, can you hear me? All right. Yeah, a bit closer, I think. All right. So uh, here's a too longer than the watch uh, version of this presentation. So I started learning Chinese, and I found that basically writing, learning how to write Chinese characters is pretty difficult. And I found an Android app. I, it's definitely super cool, but I decided to uh, write something else based on it, and I'm going to show it and invite you to collaborate. Uh, actually, that was meant to be an animation. Okay, so uh, I started learning Chinese about a year ago, and uh, I found this application called Inkstone, which I definitely recommend. It's an Android application that's meant to, to uh, teach you how to write characters. You basically learn stroke by stroke how to uh, write the characters that you choose. And the thing that I didn't like about it was that it's not really in paper, so you don't really get the feedback if you get anything wrong. And because of that, I decided to write something else, something of my own. So here's a quick fact about the Chinese characters. So basically there are made of strokes, which is basically like a couple of lines. And the characters are made, mostly made of sub-characters. And the stroke order is important, so it's very important to learn how to actually write the characters like in the correct order. And the regular Chinese way of uh, learning that, the one that I heard about, is to just repeat a thousand times each character and you're going to learn how to write it. I don't really think this is the right way, so I'm basically looking for something else, some, way, some other way to get there. So the Inkstone, the application that I found, the Android one, was built on something called Make Me a Hanzi, which is basically a database of uh, SVG uh, graphics describing each of the characters 
split stroke by stroke. And given this uh, database, I decided to write an application that basically uh, gives this kind of output. So here we are learning uh, four characters. And you, you can see that uh, there is this it's, uh, split into groups. And for each of the characters, there is uh, like four group, group, groups of four tiles. Stroke by stroke, you are learning first the new stroke, then all strokes of far, then all the strokes in context, and then you are supposed to learn the geometry by putting it with no aids, with no help. And then once you learn the characters, you are expected to recall them from memory, which is where, what the empty tiles are meant for. And in the current form, it's hosted on strokes.ovh, but I would expect it to go down in a, like a couple of minutes, given the volume of the, the, um, the amount of people here. So uh, basically, here's our, here are a couple of links explaining the logic, the reasoning that I, uh, basically my, my reasoning behind the application, how I chose its design and so far. And uh, given that I expect the server to go down, here's the way to actually run it on locally. And here's, here are the ways you could help me. So first of all, I made a list of GitHub issues. You could basically just take a look at this and see if there's anything you could help me with. Most preferably, I would be, it would be best if I could find somebody that is like fluent with Flask, uh, some way to actually make the user experience re more reasonable than it is right now, because I can see many modes of, uh, of um, many modes of learning, but it's not really the application isn't there yet in this uh, particular regard. I could definitely use some feedback. So if you know some kind of Chinese teacher that would basically, uh, are, that is willing to try it out in a classroom, I would be, that would be great if I could find out if it's already working for them or if there's something I could change. And I guess that's it. So my name is Dita, and my email is basically my username at gmail.com. And at the top right uh, piece of the screen, you can see uh, the link to the presentation. Thank you. Thank you. Next up is dissolving Gatham a bit at a time. I'm too tiny for this uh, preview screen. <laughs> uh, hello, Congress. Wash your hands. And um, who knows what Gatham is? That's an abbreviation meaning Google, Android, Facebook, Amazon, and Microsoft. So these are the uh, IT multis. This talk is a little bit a sequel or continued talk to what I said last year about self-hosted microblogging. So dissolving GAFAM a bit at a time. Tim Berners-Lee keeps saying we need to decentralize the internet. He's saying this for years now. How's the clicker? And what is the current situation? We have very few really large, huge monopolies dominating the internet. And at the same time, the complexity and the bloat around us is also growing. Most people on the internet are rather clueless about what they are doing. And there are very few decision makers and very, very many people affected by those decisions which have close to no voice. So what are the problems that come from that? Or what's the problem about this situation? Those huge corporations are very unlike you all. 
So their goals are very unlike your goals. And by participating and using their services, you are taking part in a huge behavioral study and you're a monitored dependent supplicant, like a, a testing person. The services are volatile and you have no demanding right. You cannot demand the responsibility or the, the existence of the service tomorrow or the week after tomorrow. There's been numerous services being shut down always, uh, almost overnight, and uh, that's not a nice situation to live in. And minorities are marginalized and near to invisible because to these huge uh, organizations, those minorities, there's just too many of them. So Conway's law says a system resembles and mirrors the organization that builds it. So what would you expect, what systems would you expect from those huge organizations? On top comes that technologists are proud in finding technological solutions to problems. That's not necessarily the easy or the simple ones. That's the complex and those solutions the experts can be proud of. This is probably not what we need. What we need is reliable services for one's own. So I think a response to those huge companies and their huge services is to self-host, to do it yourself, to use materials from other small entities and keep away from the big brands. The IndieWeb with their posse idea Post on your own server, syndicate elsewhere is a good idea to feed the big services and still be the one in the driver's seat by publishing on your own server first. Then it is very important to learn about the mechanics of these services, of the internals, not in depth of detail maybe, and to tell others about it, to spread the word. So. I want you to reconsider using those great services less and have a look into how could you use small services and promote them. Thank you. Thank you. So those were the talks from the recent Chaos Congress, the Lightning Round talks. and. Uh, do you, the, uh, I really feel that there's a lot of information to get from these talks, and uh, hopefully you were able to get a, a couple of nods or uh, nudges from uh, the, the talks that we just uh, d shared with you. And uh, again, you can check the check check out the entire. Um, well, I don't know if the entire conference is up, but you can check out all of the stuff that they post uh, or at on youtube at youtube uh well youtube and uh check out their channel ccc.de uh, and you can listen to most of the talks uh from the recent chaos congress and previous chaos congresses as well and other cool and interesting videos as well uh and you and again it's um if you follow the rabbit hole uh you will find and discover many uh new uh, and interesting things and people along the way and i'm sure you will not be disappointed in your journey and adventures uh and speaking of journey and adventures uh you know it's been um it was a crazy day yesterday uh it's it's still night to me um but uh i think the sun will be rising uh soon 
and uh i don't know sometimes uh this this late at night you know you do, it's still night to me no matter what it really is sometimes in the middle of the night you're like well who's holding your heart tonight right who's holding your heart at 3 a.m hmm Anyhow, my name is Gummo. You can check me out on my non-functioning Twitter account, twitter.com forward slash Gummo, G-U-M-M-O-X-X-X. And again, if you follow the rabbit hole, you can find me on Twitter somewhere else, but I'm not posting that much anywhere. Uh, I just post the shows and that's about it. Maybe a random thought here or there. Uh, and you can, of course, email me at Gummo, G-U-M-M-O, at hackers.xxx. And um, I wanted to give a, a shout out to um, all of my friends and family and everyone and everyone um, who just uh, acknowledges me once in a while. I, uh, I, I live in a small circle and um, so I keep it that way purposely. But uh, I wanted to just smile at everybody that smiles at me. Thank you very much. And to everyone that helps with the show, thank you very much. Uh, and I can't thank uh, Apple and Stone enough, Jones Lang LaSalle, thank you, uh, and uh, everybody else. Just thank you for listening to the podcast. I, I certainly appreciate it, and we all do. Uh, and, um, and we hope you enjoyed the uh, past couple of episodes. I'll get back into some cool chatter, and uh, we'll, we'll figure out some cool new things for the next show. Until then, my name is Gummo. I love you all. Thank you for tuning in. And until show number 82, take care of yourself and use your skills for something good, yeah? I love you. Take care of yourself. Till next time. Bye. <laughs>